right, day 294. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so today we're in uh, the book of First Peter. And so um, basically, the book of First Peter just tells us about our hope in the midst of suffering. And it, and, it, and it wants to show us that our hope in the midst of suffering is one way we can maintain our Christian witness to the watching world and it's written by the chief apostle peter himself many of us uh, tend to think of paul kind of as the chief apostle uh, but when you read the new testament carefully and how it kind of unfolds peter is actually really that guy you see what i'm saying so that's why it was uh, such a big deal <laughs> when paul uh, rebuked peter to his face it's like oh snap even pete got rebuked it's different anyway um peter writes this um and then matthew's chapter 16 right so anyway um so so peter writes this uh to a dispersed group of christians around Asia Minor who were under persecution for their faith. And the thing that he is going to lay out is the way Christ suffered, right? Obviously, unjustly, right? For his faith, um, for his faith, yeah, in a sense, yes. Hold on the podcast. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, uh, Christ was rewarded uh, with glory uh, after having suffered faithfully, right? And the same street, uh, Peter wants us to know, the same street that he walked down, we will too. And the same reward he got uh, will be ours as well a glorious inheritance uh first peter one starts off like this um to those chosen living as exiles dispersed abroad in pontus galatia cappadocia asia uh, bithynia chosen according to the foreknowledge of god the father through the sanctifying work of the spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of jesus christ right off the bat peter uses a ton of old testament imagery uh, imagery here to describe the christians he is writing to at this time but also us as well right so he talks about the christians that are dispersed around Asia Minor, right? The ancient world. And notice what he calls them. He says, you are exiles. <laughs> uh, some translations read sojourners or foreigners or strangers. And the word he's trying to bring up here uh, has this meaning or, or this connotation of, of one who comes from a foreign country to reside in a city or land that natives, uh, uh, with, with, with natives temporarily, right? And the imagery harks back to the exile that happened in the Old Testament. Remember, Israel uh, was scattered uh, uh, among the nations of the world. They were dispersed among the nations and found themselves as now strangers in land that was not their own, trying to make their way back home. And uh, Peter inserts us into that story. He says, in other words, to be a Christian is to be a stranger, is to be a exile. We are foreigners, right? This earth in its present state is not our home, right? He is saying as Christians, if you feel like you are a stranger in your own physical geographical region, it's because you are, right? We are those that feel this unending tension, according to Peter, or in a sense, we should because we are, 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 are supposed to be <laughs> swimming against the stream of this age and the ways of this world, right? Longing for a kingdom that's going to come with true righteousness, peace and justice and flourishing and happiness and joy. Not only that, he says we are chosen, Right. Again, this is Old Testament imagery. Uh, Israel knew they were elected by God. They were chosen by God to bring his blessing to the world. And he says, no, no, like God chose us. If you're in Christ, God chose you to be in Christ. He's saying that uh, Christ and God, that we were we were his long before he was ours. Right. We were his long before he was ours. We were chosen to be sanctified and washed by the blood. Of Jesus, So he reassures them of the story they're in. He kind of frames this thing so beautifully, the story they're in and whose they are before he gives them specific instructions. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope. It is because of the mercy of God that we have hope, right? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. I just noticed um, that language is, is very much uh, priestly kind of language. So it's interesting that he'll get into kind of priestly language in uh, chapter two as well. If you read the Old Testament, uh, undefiled, right, imperishable, all this kind of stuff. Anyway, then he goes in the letter, uh, in the typical uh, letter format, uh, he blesses God, says that God has given us a living hope, right, uh, through the resurrection, which is an inheritance. And um, what's interesting is that this idea of a living hope is, is very, very key. One of the best sermons I've uh, ever heard uh, by Tim Keller, who is uh, one of my favorite right preachers, teachers, you know that if you know me. Um, when this passage uh, years ago, and I've listened to it so many times, he talks about um, what it means to have a living hope. And he gives a, a real life historical illustration um, that is actually given uh, from a book and from a, a real life uh, situation from a man named Victor Frankl. Uh, Victor Frankl was a Jewish uh, psychoanalyst who wrote this book, a very famous book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, I actually read it really good. Um, basically, in the book, he recounts uh, his real life of him being in Auschwitz, right, which was the con concentration camp uh, during the Holocaust, right, that had Jews held captive uh, by Nazi Germany. And he was there, right? So he's seeing it with his own eyes. And being in there, he said he noticed that there were four types of people. So he's a psychoanalyst, right? He couldn't turn off the psychoanalyst in him, even in uh, a terribly uh, traumatic situation. Four types of people that were in this brutal, intense, I mean, like one of the greatest atrocities of human history, right? Um, he, he recognizes four types of people. One, there were the people that just got brutal, right? There were, there were those who uh, were, were under this suffering in such a way that they just became cruel, right, to other prisoners. And they trampled on anyone, uh, anyone else so they could survive themselves, right? Or he says folks just gave up, right? Like there were just some who just lost all hope. Some were refused to get dressed, to wash, to eat. And they just wither, withered away and literally died, right? And this is terrible. Um, and then he goes, he says, there were also a third group of people who held on, right? And he said, if I could just hold on to this thing ends, right? I can get all my hopes back. I can get all my dreams back. If I could just hold on for a bit, I can get my family, my wealth, my position and society, all those things back. And the irony is, he says, he says it was funny because many folks that actually made it through uh, usually fell into a deep, deep depression. Now we know so much more about trauma now. And um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's the normal, right? Um, they fell into a deep depression and many committed suicide, right? Because it ultimately turned out not to be a fitting enough reward, right? Like at, like the reward, the suffering outweighed the reward. You see what I'm saying? And so they came out and, and things weren't what they seemed. You see what I'm saying? But then he says there was a fourth group and he says they kept their inner liberty, right? Only a few, he says, were able to stay kind, to stay buoyant, to stay themselves in a sense. And he says, why? The reason why, he says, it was because those people had a hope that was not rooted in circumstances and it was something that suffering and even death itself couldn't destroy and he was like these are the people who you know found this hope in in god right um, or their faith in some way and uh he says the folks in that camp were part of the fourth group they had this kind of hope and the thing that we need to remember is that we have this kind of hope and what i'm not saying is that we should seek out these moments of suffering things like that the holocaust was terrible obviously we know that um but i'm just saying to make the point that we analogously to those people in the camp uh, have a type of hope that suffering death or nothing on this earth uh 
or in the entire creation can take away. And it is rooted in the glorious resurrection of the Lord Jesus and this inheritance, right? Um, so, so, so this is just beautiful how Peter lays that out here in chapter two he moves on he says as you come to him a living stone talking about jesus rejected by people but chosen and honored by god you yourselves <laughs> as living stones a spiritual house are being built to be a holy priesthood wow to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to god through jesus christ he uses even more old testament imagery here to talk about this new community that has been created by christ the cornerstone he is the stone that was rejected by the builders but has become the cornerstone or foundation of the new community and i love it because he mixes metaphors here as he talks about us being living stones and also a spiritual house so the stone imagery is key because it points back to the temple in the old testament and the priesthood as well he says no we are now the temple so the temple in the old testament was where heaven and earth met where god dwelt amongst his people and where they came for worship he says no no now god dwells in you he dwells in his people right in a special way by the power of the holy spirit christ is not only the foundation of his people he says but he is inseparable from his people right the cornerstone was inseparable from the rest of the structure right you are united to him you are one with him in the language of paul you are in him right and so furthermore this community he's talking about is a royal priesthood, right? We are to be holy and set apart. So even in the midst of persecution, he says, you offer spiritual sacrifices. Now, now that's interesting. He says, offer spiritual sacrifices even in the midst of persecution, right? And these sacrifices, what does he mean? He says, sacrifices of praise. <laughs> he says, no, 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 like sacrifices of praise, right? Our whole bodies in service to God, as Paul says elsewhere. Sacrifices of praise even in the midst of suffering. What would that say about not praising God because of the suffering, but in the midst of it, uh, regardless of it, right? In spite of it, right? Verse nine, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises hmm, of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Not sure if I said this before, but one of the functions of the Old Testament priest was to bless the people of God. So in other words, they bless and proclaim God's blessing over God's people via his presence. Now, Israel as a whole, we know from uh, the Exodus story that they were supposed to be, as a community, they were to bless the nations. This is why they are called a kingdom of priests. And so what he does here is calls us a royal priesthood because we take on the same function. So in other words, God wants to use Christians to carry out a priestly function in proclaiming the praises of the one who called us out of darkness into the light, but also to bless the world right? We should be a blessing, right? To our neighbors and to society and to the world. We've talked about this some. This is why we proclaim his name, not just in our preaching, but according to Peter and according to the New Testament, in our missions and in justice and in evangelism and in good works and in our uh, civic responsibilities, right? All of these things. And the hope is that God would be lifted up and that the nations of the earth would come, right? This is the vision for Christianity, right? Like that God would make himself known, do what he's done in his people, right? All over the world. Why is this important though? It's so good because um, like one may wonder, like how does this make sense? All of this, this high and lofty theology that, that Peter gives, how does this make sense that they're suffering, right? Like people really suffering our chief. Like how does this make sense of it? And I'm glad you asked because what he's doing is he's trying to say, and I alluded to this at the, at the beginning, He's trying to place their suffering suffering within a new story, right? He's trying to place their suffering within a brand new story. There's been so much uh, psychological data, 
um, anthropological data about human beings and how we are basically living narratives. The only way we can make sense of reality as a human outside of Christianity, just as a human in general, um, is to see ourselves and place ourselves in a story, right? Like even if you think right now, like really quick about your life, there is a story, there is a narrative, there's an unfolding of events that took place. And, and so, well, it's so good. I often say that the Bible is not just good theology, but it's also good anthropology, right? They really understand human nature, right? Before secular science even kind of catches up. And so he's saying like, no, you have to restory yourself. <laughs> like you have to understand that you're in this same story and the people of God have always been exiles. The people of God have always been persecuted. The people of God have always been strangers on this earth, suffer, uh, suffering and being persecuted for standing with the one true God, he's saying, no, this is how you actually make sense of your life, right? Being placed in God's story helps you understand your place in the world. I love what he does next. He moves in the next section of the book from 211 to 411. He will pretty much go on and go in about how uh, since we are this holy people in this new story and we're set apart, we ought to live like it, right? Our lives should look different than the surrounding world as a witness to the world about the power and work of God. Listen, Christianity, he says, uh, should be different, but in it being different, as I always say, it is attractive. Dear friends, he says, I urge you as strangers, there's that word, and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. I love this language. Um, I, ugh, it's so much, bro. It's so much. I don't even have time. Listen, there's so much data too. <laughs> it's so funny because Christianity got me so ahead of the curve. Like it's so much um, psychological data too that says that um, like you actually hurt your, your, your inner self in, in their language, like uh, by doing like immoral things, right? And, and so on a spiritual level, like Peter is saying like, no, you actually wage war against the soul, right? Conduct yourselves, he says, honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they gotta make up something basically. Now nah, he says, so they, <laughs> he says, so they will observe your good works and glorify God on the day he visits. He sounds a lot like Jesus there. First Peter three. Back part of two, he will talk about uh, slaves. And if you want to hear uh, some on uh, slavery in the ancient world, uh, we did we did episodes on Philemon uh, where we talked about this at length. Um, but here in this text, so he talks about that. But here in this text, in three, he comes to husbands and wives. So uh, actually, <clears throat> what's interesting about Peter and Paul and the New Testament writers, they lived in a Greco-Roman society. So in ancient uh, Greco-Roman society, uh, you see it in places like Aristotle, um, they, they had what was called household codes. And so uh, basically it would it would be these ways of living uh, and ways of being in the household that addressed everybody in the household. So you see that like the New Testament authors are kind of using the same thing, but uh, under the lordship of Christ. Right. And so he talks to husbands and wives and gives them specific instructions on how even the institution of marriage. Right. Can be a missiological tool used for God to bring glory to his name. Right. And so he does that. But then he returns to this theme of suffering. Where he states, who then will harm you if you are devoted to do what is good? So notice Christians are to be those who do what is good. Simple enough, but harder than it sounds. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated. Drop down to verse 17. He says, for it is better to suffer for doing good. If that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Uh, those, he says, who suffer unjustly are those who have the blessing of God. Of God. And he, again, he sounds so much like Jesus. And there's been tons, tons of studies talking about how... Um, so many of the themes here are literally like copy and pasted from the Sermon on the Mount, right? Blessed are you who are persecuted, right? Matthew chapter five. Um, 
And he brilliantly argues, though, as he goes on. He says, no, no, no. You have to understand this, though, that the fuel, the fuel, the only thing that will compel you to be able to suffer faithfully for the gospel is Christ. Verse 18, for Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. Notice the 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 unjust, like from, from our standpoint, nature of that, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. Wow. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the spirit. Listen, the natural human inclination. I love it because he's telling us to to, to tonight to not um, to, 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 to not, uh, uh, um, you know, repay and all those sorts of things. Uh, the natural human inclination is to fight fire with fire. Right. Hands with hands. Right. Vengeance and revenge. Right. But when you read the New Testament, you see that the gospel is not just the pathway to everlasting life. Yes, it is that, but it is also the starting point for how, or, or for Christian ethics, right? And part of the way Christians should be known in the world and among the world is about the faithfulness in which they suffer, right? Like we don't repay evil for evil. And he will say like, no, no, Christ endured, right? He endured suffering. And in this way, he triumphed over evil instead of being overcome by evil. Right. Or being defeated by evil, contrary to what it actually looked like. And it's funny because how much of uh, uh, our war, wars and battles in society are a result of social retaliation. Right. It's it's a result of people saying, no, you hit me and I want my lick back. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And the only way that that cycle can be broken, that those things can be overcome is by somebody choosing to do good. Right. It's somebody has to choose. And, and we see that in the gospel, that the only way God could, could 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 end sin is by ending, ending it with good. Right. He ends it with good. And it's so good because he goes on. I'm, I'm, I'm going a little over time. First Peter four. He moves on and he exhorts with more of the same ideas. He says in order to live. Uh, the remaining time of the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. For there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do, carrying on an unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, uh, carousing, lawless idolatry. They are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living and they slander you. In other words, as strangers and foreigners, what Peter is saying is our lifestyle should look so different and that we live uh, in, in, in an alternate way in society in the same way that a foreigner, right? Remember how he talked about that, that comes to another country lives in a different way in a different society, right? He says drunkenness, evil desires, carousing, idolatry, you name it, right? These things shouldn't be uh, heard of or uh, or among us, right? And Peter is going to be like, yo, like, don't be surprised when you choose to live different that you actually catch blowback, right? You actually catch, you're going to catch blowback, chief, right? And he says, yo, like, Cats may slander you, right? They may say you're holier than thou, even if you're just trying to be faithful, right? And it's funny because un unwarranted and unwanted slander, that is a form of persecution, right? Like any of us who've, who've received, been on the receiving end, know that is a form of persecution. But the beautiful thing is, is that um, because of the Lord Jesus, uh, we can be reminded that, that, that we aren't going through anything that Jesus didn't go through himself, Right, himself. Verse five, he says, we can have comfort 
we can have comfort because the scripture says uh, they will give an account, right, to the one who judges the living and the dead. In other words, you being slandered by the non-believing world for your good deeds, literally the abstinence from ungodly ones is proof that judgment may be upon them. Right. Furthermore, he goes on to say that um, not only will folks be surprised that you don't get down how you used to, but you shouldn't be surprised when suffering actually comes. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Why are you surprised? Right. Part of the reason sometimes that we're um, so uh, distraught by our suffering is because we were surprised by our suffering. Right. He says, don't be surprised when it comes um he says instead rejoice as you share in the sufferings of christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed notice the the movement again suffering to glory this is the pattern of redemption humiliation exaltation death to resurrection it is the only path to the kingdom of god acts 14 verse 22 i remember someone uh, a while ago said that um the difference between the modern church and the early church was that we rejoice that christ shares in our sufferings but they rejoice because they were sharing in his. This is a subtle yet monumental difference uh, in knowing that you're truly following him if your life is patterned after him, right? This was a cause of joy and hope for earlier generations, and it should be for us as well. We need a better theology of suffering, right? Finally, lastly, First Peter 5, he gives a concluding word to the elders of the church. And it's interesting that you can almost hear Jesus' voice again come out in Peter's teaching. Remember the book of John and, and toward the very end how uh, uh, Christ gives this threefold restoration of Peter um, that restored him after denying Christ three times. And, and Peter gives the same kind of exhortation here about the elders of these individual communities, the charge to be an example for the flock and to shepherd them as well. And all of this as they wait on the chief shepherd's return. And he tells us at the very end, he tells us to resist and stand firm. Hear this against our ultimate enemy the enemy of our souls we have to remember again as, I, as i've been trying to stress that we are in a spiritual battle right and we have to stand firm we don't just resist and, and stand firm in the midst of suffering in the world but also stand firm against the one who will want to take us out right in the world right and we can only stand firm with the promise that god will grant and give his eternal glory to those who do let's pray god we ask that our hope will be set on uh the living hope the 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 enduring and unfading and undefiled inheritance we have in christ lord i pray that uh our lives will be set upon you what you've done in christ for us knowing that we will receive a crown